how did the sun form? As we learned last week, when modern science tells the tale of star formation, it takes no account of God or his love, but instead focuses on purely natural explanations. The widely accepted account of how our sun formed says that several billion years ago, a cloud of gas was compressed by a nearby explosion of another star, or by, quote, the passage of time and random swirling motions, end quote. These random motions or explosions allegedly compressed the gas cloud, much like how gas is compressed into an aerosol can. The compressed gas increases. It is heated to extreme temperatures and allows for the fusion of atoms into hydrogen and helium. This dense core becomes gravitationally powerful and continues to attract more and more matter until there is a knife-edge balance of outward nuclear fusion in the core and inward gravitational pressure from the accumulation of more matter. It is in this equilibrium between nuclear and gravitational forces that the sun becomes stable and burns for billions of years. But this process has never been observed. It is a theoretical model filled with a great deal of speculation. One main problem is that this theory requires other stars to have existed and exploded in order to trigger the condensation of gas clouds. These other stars are hydrogen-helium stars called Population 3 stars. But to date, there has not been a single Population 3 star ever discovered. Allegedly, they've all gone supernovae. But consider how many supernovae would have had to have occurred to trigger the collapse of a gas cloud in order to produce the uncountable multitude of stars we know exist today. And what mechanism formed Population 3 stars if there were no stars before them? No one really knows. We here at Good Heavens believe God created the stars ex nihilo, that is, out of nothing. God did not use pre-existing matter to create the heavens and the earth. This is why it is chiefly difficult to account for purely naturalistic explanations of stellar evolution. Without God as the ultimate creating agent, every theory of star formation requires there to be pre-existing matter and energy of some kind. And given what we know about matter and energy, it is impossible for them to have existed forever. From where do matter and energy originate? What ends up happening is that secular astronomical science must come up with theories about matter and energy or other universes, which suggest something, some kind of material, must be eternal. We cannot begin to describe the origin of our universe without reference to something eternal. This is precisely what we should expect if God exists. His invisible attributes, in this case his eternality, are clearly understood by anyone who studies the universe. On purely naturalistic explanations of the universe, something like eternity is rather unexpected. Even if science were to discover the best technical explanations for where matter and energy came from or how stars formed, those explanations would not rule out God having created them all. Just as being able to explain how combustion engines work doesn't eliminate the automotive engineers who design and build them. Senior Pastor Emeritus of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois, R. Kent Hughes, commenting on the creation of the sun and the moon in Genesis, notes, quote, 
Notice that the sun and moon are identified as two great lights. Moses consciously avoids using their names because they are gods in the Egyptian pantheon. Moses is saying that the sun, moon, and stars are not gods, but God's creation. He asserts Israel's majestic monotheism over the degraded pagan polytheism of his day. With just a mere word, the expression of God's will, the solar system was set like a jeweled watch in the midst of the universe. End quote. While secular purveyors of the cosmos would openly reject they are in any way worshipping a god of any kind, they nonetheless are doing just that when they posit the eternity of matter or energy or other universe-generating mechanisms or invisible forces that emanate from unknown laws. They venerate time, matter, chance, energy, probability, and the unknown as being ultimately responsible for our solar system and the universe as a whole. Anything but God. Contrary to popular belief, our sun is utterly unique in the universe. Our sun is the only star we know of with a planet going around it that contains poets. And these poets write about all the other wonders our sun enables our planet to contain. As the English poet Gerard Manley Hopkins wrote, quote, Glory be to God for dappled things, for skies of coupled color as a brindled cow, for rose moles all in stipple upon trout that swim, fresh fire coal, chestnut falls, finches' wings, landscape plotted and pieced fold, fallow and plow, and all trades, their gear and tackle and trim. All things counter, original, spare and strange, whatever is fickle, freckled, who knows how. With swift, slow, sweet, sour, a dazzle, dim, he fathers forth, whose beauty is past change. Praise him. So what does this all mean for you and I? As Pastor Hughes notes, Jesus, quote, was the one who formed the universe. He can restore form to broken lives. And more, he who filled the earth with light, the seas with fish, the air with birds, and the land with its denizens, specializes in giving his righteousness to sinful, vacuous humanity. He only has to say the word, and it is done. End quote. As the Apostle Paul proclaims, quote, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God, and not from ourselves. On part two of our episode about the sun, Wayne and I continue to discuss the many ways in which our sun reflects the power, love, and glory of the Lord who created it. There is not only information in the light of the sun, as both Josef Fraunhofer and Cecilia Payne discovered, but there is also hope and encouragement for our souls as we contemplate the sun and other stars in light of God's glory. There are a multitude of telescopes and satellites today that study every aspect of the sun, from its mysterious layers to its coronal mass ejections, and this is all well and good. But what is even better is that the one who made the sun fashioned you in your mother's womb. He can make light shine out of your darkness too. Believe that he can. 
So grab your Bibles, put on some sunscreen, and your favorite pair of sunglasses, and come along with Wayne and me as we continue to delve into more fascinating facts about the sun, all for the glory of God. These corona mass ejections are very interesting phenomena. Uh, there was one of these back in uh, uh, 1989 that uh, actually took down the power grid in, or in Canada, in Quebec. Yes, yes, uh, yes. It, it took down the power grid. Um, and there was one, they found sort of indirect evidence of an older one that was goes back to 1859. Yes. And eight, but in 1859, people did not depend on technology like today, Dan. The only kind of electrical things that they had in 1859 was the telegraph. Right. And the coronal mass ejection burned out telegraph offices. Wow. Uh, <laughs> it, they wow. had these batteries that ran the things, and the batteries would burn up and stuff. Well, and today it's dangerous because what the vulnerability for us today is satellite technology, um, and yeah. there's a there's a heliospheric weather observatory now that keeps track and tries to predict these corona mass ejections. That sometimes they can they 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 think that are they are somewhat associated with sunspots, but we predict this. There's not really a whole lot we can do except know that it's coming. And they can cause damage to satellites and uh, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of these uh, are on the other side of the sun. A lot of these uh, do not hit Earth directly. Um, and it happens all the time. The, the mass ejections, the bigger ones they are, the solar flares that happen, uh, do happen. But um, the Earth rarely gets hit with these giant ones. Um, but that's now we have the technology to to anticipate when they happen. But if if the weather heliospheric weather observatory knew a big one was coming, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot we can do. We can't pull down the satellites. Yeah, so <laughs> let me go into the science of these a little bit more. Yeah, it's, yeah, They're it's fascinating. kind of fascinating. So we think of the Earth as a, as a magnet, and it's often pictured as like a bar magnet. But uh -huh. the the sun as a magnet is a whole lot more complicated because it's not like there's one one magnet in the sun it's like there's many many of them and so uh you see if you see these videos of the sun surface you you'll see um a solar uh prominence a kind of an arc of gas and it's it's plasma because it's hot ionized gas that erupts and follows a loop and goes back down to the sun and uh, well, these loops are following magnetic field lines, but but it's it's kind of a local field, and all the local smaller magnetic fields sort of sum together to make the total. And and what happens in the eleven year solar cycle is that the uh, the overall field of the sun uh, gets weaker until it's almost nothing, and then it kind of that reverses polarity and then turns around and gets stronger again. And and so the 11-year the cycle is when it's, it's between the reversals 
And so in the course of the changes, there are some of these uh, eruptions because the sunspots uh, are at the sites where these solar prominences of gas get thrown out, they get Mm -hmm. pushed out. Mm -hmm. And so it makes these giant loops that come off the sun. And if you have multiple of these prominences, these loops that come off the sun, if they touch they can explode. Wow. Yeah. And if it if those prominences those loops explode, that blasts ionized gas out into space. That's a coronal mm. mass ejection. That's like a solar cannon of stuff that yeah. just gets it's like a fire-breathing dragon or something. It's but- like a magnetic bomb that blasts uh ionized hot ionized plasma into space and that's a coronal mass ejection those loops wayne the size we just to give you a a, a perspective listeners of of the size of these things you can go online and see the pictures of these what they call cmes and they are vaultingly enormous uh you could the earth would be uh think of think of a, a loop in your shoelace and or something like that that's what kind of what they look like but the earth would be minuscule compared to these things these things yeah. are are multiple earth earth sizes in length and in height or i don't even know how what the right word is but they they dwarf a single corona mass ejection these magnetic loops of which you speak dwarfs the earth um you know they're, they're, yeah. they're just super 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 huge um, and speaking of size, and we'll get back to the magnetic here. I just wanted to say, while we're on the size here for just a second, you could string 109 Earths across the equator of the sun. That's how wide the sun is. It's 864,000 miles in diameter. Just, I mean, you can't even fathom that. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. Earth would be a, a speck on uh, the surface of the sun. And the sun, um, it, it rotates faster at the equator than it does at the poles. Yes. Uh, That's so fascinating. The, um, so the motion and spin of the sun is very much related to the magnetic field. Yeah. Um, it's very complicated, but fortunately, it's not as uh, violent as it is for many other stars. No, there are there are uh, events that happen and it can affect our weather. If you, there's a website you can go to. It's called Space Weather, to that will tell about uh, solar uh, solar activity. You can solar activity that affects. So it can affect radio transmission. It can affect satellites. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at the sun, there's now we have so many different cameras and satellites trained on the sun. You'd mentioned earlier the, how the surface is. The surface is a seething cauldron of bubbles, uh, mm-hmm. r- solar granules. I don't know what the official term is called for these things. They range in size, and you can go on YouTube now and you can see these, very common out there. They range in size from, uh, I've heard anywhere from the state of Texas to the size of continents. These granules yeah. are enormous, and they're just seething and bubbling and frothing over the entire surface. It's amazing. Yeah, and on the, each of them lasts only uh, maybe 10 minutes or something, I think. They, they just right. last a, a matter of minutes, right. and then a new one forms because there's uh, gas coming up from below. Yeah. And it gets to the surface, and then it kind of fades away. It is incredible. Back to uh, 
what the scripture is saying. You know, the psalm we often quote here on Good Heavens, and I've quoted it enough times, I've got it memorized. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, uh, Psalm 19. Um, a lesser known part of Psalm 19, um, that God has placed uh, in the heavens a tent for the sun. It's a metaphor here, and he says, uh, in them, in the heavens, God, he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Again, like a simile mm-hmm. here, the sun is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like somebody's about to get married and he's excited. Uh, it rejoices as a strong man to run its his course. Its <laughs> rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So here we have a wonderful metaphor that I think is more resplendently points to Christ. We have the familiar language of the bridegroom, which you have in Revelation. And then you have a strong man who who is Jesus himself. You know, we have a, a strong man, a brightness, a heat from which nothing is hidden. And then what does David go into in the next uh, seven verses, seven through 14? David is reminded of how God's word is like the sun. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandments of the Lord is pure. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And so we have a direct, we have permission from God to to relate the sun to spiritual things, because that is what God intended it to do, to be for signs and for seasons and to reflect uh, a light in in such a way that it reminds us of God. In fact, in the opening book of that astronomy book I had quoted earlier, uh, the gentlemen say that there is information in sunlight, that that's what the discipline of astronomy is, that we can read stars. Why is that, Wayne? They were intended to be understood. And maybe we want to talk a little bit about uh, spectrometers and uh, spectrometers. Spe- well, what's the word? What's the spe- word? Spectroscopy. Spe- I can never pronounce that right. <laughs> it's <laughs> a hard one to pronounce. <laughs> Me and astronomy words. Spectroscopy is looking at the light that comes from atoms. Yes. And and you can look at the the light from the sun, and you you there will be dark lines where uh, along the spectrum you spread out the spectrum into different colors like what a prism does, only you do it very precisely. And then you you see dark lines that come from the different atoms. So like hydrogen has three lines that are very, very obvious and easily to detect. And then different atoms have their own dark lines in the spectrum that show, it's like a signature of different elements. Yeah, so it's a, it's a continuum of a light spectrum where there are shades of light and there are lines of darkness, and they're called the lines, so it's interposed. And where the dark lines appear is is a is the way in which you detect uh, the presence of a particular element that's coming from uh, the sun or whatever star you're looking at. And they're called uh, Fraunhofer lines. The the Fraunhofer, Josef Fraunhofer, he was a uh, 18th century Bavarian orphan who was working as an apprentice in a glass factory hmm. when the building collapsed, trapping him beneath the rubble. Just a kid. He survived and was rescued after a team which included the Prince Elector of Bavaria, Maximilian IV, spent Hmm. hours digging through the debris. Maximilian 
this is Maximilian, this is the Elector Prince of Bavaria at the time, mm-hmm. wanting to help the poor orphan, gave him books and time to study. And uh, he also got financial support from others who were there at the scene. And so about eight months after the accident, the orphan, Joseph von Fraunhofer, had won a place at the Optical Institute. Uh, I'm not even going to pronounce Ben Dickenbrun. Uh, Dickenbrun, I'm killing it, sorry. Uh, but <laughs> he won a place at an Optical <laughs> Institute in Bavaria. It was a former monastery converted into a glassmaking facility. So mm. Fraunhofer went on to invent the spectroscope. He hmm. invented the spectroscope. So spectroscopy is the product of an orphan who nearly died in a building collapse and was rescued by a prince and given financial opportunities and books and time to study. And lo and behold, the spectroscope was born. A Very prism good. telescope device through which... Now, he didn't invent the prism. It was the prism telescope device, the spectro- spectroscope, yeah. through which light passes and is broken up into its variegated components, and then they are magnified by the telescope. But that was Fraunhofer. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, just reminds me... <clears throat> Kind of our story, too, that Jesus, as the prince, the king of kings and lord of lords, the son of God, comes down and rescues us in our rubble and gives us the opportunity to study these things and to give us grace, you know, and to right. give us new life. Rescues uh, us out of that, our rubble. I like that. <laughs> he does. He takes us out of our catastrophes. He really did uh, that in my life. Oh, yeah. Mm. And he, he still does that in my life. I have catastrophes every day. I had to cook dinner for 20 people this week. <laughs> it was really? nearly a catastrophe, yeah, for our uh, book club. Hmm, but so- – um, uh, but that's a, a wonderful story of Fraunhofer, and that's how we get Fraunhofer lines. And so, you know, this poor kid, as he's trapped in the rubble, is he thinking, hey, I'm going to revolutionize astronomy? No, he's just like, help, save me, you know, and, and here comes the prince to the rescue. And little did he know he would get rescued, not only rescued, but this opportunity to study uh, astronomy and spectroscopy and all this stuff. It's a fascinating story anyway. Just uh, so many things like that in the universe, That uh, so many wonderful stories. How many go untold, you know? It's just a very moving story about Fraunhofer that, that we wouldn't have Fraunhofer lines were it not for this wonderful German prince who came and rolled up his sleeves and rescued Fraunhofer. Uh, fascinating story, but, but that's basically the, the spectroscopy is the science of stars, and it shows that stars, every star has a unique signature like every human being has unique fingerprints. So every star has unique chemical signatures that can be detected using Fraunhofer lines. Isn't yeah, right? and you know what, Dan? There's another kind of signature a star has. This is re- relatively recent technology or okay. science. It's it's referred to as helioseismology. Think of it this way. So uh, do you know what seismology is? Yes. That is about sound waves and uh, vibrational waves that go through the earth. Okay. And and geologists can detect these waves and from de- analyzing the waves and how they were affected by different layers of rock, you can figure out things about the interior of the earth. Earthquakes cause the vibrations and generate these waves, right? And uh, so the waves can be analyzed and you can figure out things like the density of the rock layers in the earth and the, um, the 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 density of it, and you can figure out the properties of it to some degree from these waves. Well, astronomers were amazed to discover that there are sound waves that go through the, the sun. Wow. 
And the if you have a lower frequency sound wave, it's it's kind of telling you about material that's down deeper. And if it's a higher frequency wave, it's telling you about something closer to the surface of the sun. And uh, that's kind of the general idea. But it gets complicated, and what it creates is a kind of ripples on the uh, on the sun. And they found that the sun had these what looked like ripples, and they thought, "Where is it? What is this? Is this a a problem with our measurement? Are we? Is there something wrong with our equipment? Or what is this?" And they it took a long time, and they finally decided it must be sound. Mm. It's really vibrations from the gases, and the vibrations create waves, and they the waves interact with each other, and they're now figuring out things about a star from those waves and they do this with stars other than our sun they 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 do helioseismology on other stars and they can use this to figure out the spin rate of the star they can figure out if the star is spinning at, on an axis different from the way the planets orbit the star you know we talked about tilted orbits of extrasolar planets dan and how some planets around other stars, they orbit in an orbit that's not lined up with the spin of the star. It's all, often an angle. But right, right. They are at different angles. And it's helioseismology is one of the methods that they use to figure this out. How do you figure out which way a star is oriented. Where's the north and south pole of where it spins? Wow. Well, the fascinating thing, and we've talked about this on a few other programs, one of the fascinating things about that, to me, has always been that our sun, the north and south pole of our sun, is tilted, what is approximately about seven degrees to the orbital plane of the planets. Yes. So the the people think that the planets uh, line up perfectly around the equator of the sun, and the sun is spinning perfectly, and the planets go around it perfectly like a dinner plate. You often see this picture. Yeah. But what you don't see uh, is that the sun's north and south pole are tilted seven degrees in relation to the orbital plane of the of the planets. So the, by the time that you get out to Uranus. Uh, the angle is huge. The, the the angle of the sun is huge. Now, astronomers will say that if, you know, the protoplanetary disk theory, where the, the planets came out of a disk of uh, a proto-sun, the, the material sort of spun off, and that's how we get the planets. So you would think that the planets would be perfectly aligned with the rotational aspect of, of the sun, but in fact, that's not true. The sun is tilted at 7.5 degrees or so, some astronomers kind of blow that off, but I think it's very significant. Why Why is this tilt the way it is? Why is it not perfectly aligned? Yeah, I think it's a problem for their origin models for the solar system. And, Dan, that 7 degrees for some extrasolar systems, with other stars with exoplanets, mm-hmm. that angle is... 60 degrees or maybe even 100 degrees wow for some systems the wow the the star is uh practically on its side compared to the the way the planets orbit mm. and th- this is a real big puzzle that scientists are working on that wow. it's di- very difficult to explain from a naturalistic point of view how did this form but you know what 
God could make stars tilted however he wants, you know? <laughs> That's right. That's, That's right. how I look at it. That's right. But the the sun, uh, it's, it's what C.S. Lewis said, you know, I, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I can see the sun, but because by it I can see everything else. And so mm. it's an amazing way not only for life, but for sight, for eyesight. What kind yes. of a sun that we have, the, the, the way our atmosphere filters out a lot of the harmful UV rays of the sun, um, the way the sun keeps us in orbit, uh, the way the sun uh, provides us with light to see by, with heat and warmth, and uh, with seasons. Um, it's, it's just fascinating. I was at my mom's house uh, a couple of weeks ago. She lives out in uh, the High Plains Desert area of Southern California, and out her living room window is uh, a beautiful flat view. She's up above about three to 3,500 feet above sea level, and she sits out on a mesa. And out her back front yard, or out her backyard, which is her living room window, you can see the sunrise on the horizon. So every morning I'd get up before sunrise and read the Bible, and I'd look out at the window, and it, would, it was really cool because I was there for two weeks, and I watched... And if you know if it was my house, I would have marked on the on the window where the sun was rising because on each day the sun moved a little further south along this horizon. So it, it rose like near this tree on this uh, on this uh, mesa, and by when I was there at first, and then by the time just before I left, it had it had moved in the matter of two weeks about the length of my fist at arm's length. <laughs> but it was, you know, it reminded me, this is how ancient people studied the stars. This is maybe what Stonehenge was and all these other ancient uh, uh, structures that were built to to understand the sun. They watched very carefully the progression of the sun as it rose every morning and how it moved uh, uh, yeah, north and, and they, south. Yeah, and they made sundials to help them yes. do that. Yeah, yeah. so this, this, the sun has been proven to be an accurate timepiece. Of course, people have, uh, have been wrong to worship it, but, but, but you can understand why people worship the sun if they don't know God. They understand that this, this doesn't seem to be an accident. The other fascinating thing to me has always been that the ratio is such to where the disk of the moon and the disk of the sun are of actual equal size. Yeah. So that's how we have eclipses because of the, the distance is actually, I mean, the sun is gigantic, of course, but it's so much further away that it ends up being exactly, nearly exactly the same size as the disk of the moon that we right. see. Right. And this is very significant for science because it means that when, in, when the moon is in front of the sun, it's just right to be able to see some of the effects of what's happening on the sun. That yes. it's, it's impossible for us to observe at other times. So this has allowed scientists to figure out some very important things about the sun. Because you're, you're, it's like you're looking only at the edge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The sun has a crown. Uh, How about that, Wayne? Yeah, it's the uh, solar corona you see pop out at the edge of the moon's disk, yeah. the sun's crown. The sun has a crown. How about that? And here's another mystery, Wayne. Check this out. Okay. The sun's surface is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit, some plus or minus. But its atmosphere is 300 times hotter. Wow. So what heats the atmosphere to, 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 to such extreme temperatures? How can you go 10,000 degrees? You would think the surface would be a lot hotter. You want to you, like you, you wear shoes if you're going walking on the sun. You think, well, I need to, I need to get off the sun because it's cooler up there. No, you're actually getting hotter the higher up you go in the solar atmosphere. 
Um, and it's a great mm. mystery. I mean, people, there's not, as far as I understand in reading the website, there's not, uh, it's not well known exactly how this this uh, goes on. Mm. I don't know what the, the cutting edge is on the explanation for why the atmosphere of the sun is hotter than the surface, but there it is. The sun continues to amaze and mystify us. Uh, but that's great because that's uh, job security for astronomers. So um, what else, Wayne? What else do you have in your grab bag of fun sun facts? What else? Well, it is suited well for plants and for for life on Earth. So some stars may give off visible light, but they may be kind of skewed in one part of the spectrum a lot. So like... Some stars give off a lot of X-rays, for example. Mm-hmm. That would be bad for us if, if our star was like that. Very bad. Um, we would be seeing through each other all the time, right? <laughs> I once did a study of the the light in the sun compared to what plants need. Okay. And in our sun, now plants have you kind of used different parts of the spectrum. They vary somewhat in kind of what what light frequencies they use, but uh, our sun has uh, has both the red light and the blue light, and the red and blue have different benefits to plants. So it's good that our sun has both. Um, that helps with the growth of plants. Uh, some stars kind of have a lot of red or a lot of blue or maybe a lot of x-rays al- along with it. So it's the... Our our sun has a good balance. <laughs> it's uh, almost as if it was designed that way. I think it was designed that way. I mean, how many yes. coincidences does it take before you say, "Okay, this looks like it was designed"? I mean, you can yeah. you can line up a few coincidences coincidences here and there, but how many does it take before you you would you would concede that something is designed? I mean, it's it's incredible how. You know, with Fraunhofer lines, just for example. But speaking of uh, Fraunhofer lines, Wayne, did you know that um, it wasn't until 1929 uh, that we discovered that hydrogen was the dominant gas in sun and stars? Uh, This was discovered by Cecilia Payne at Harvard. Really? Yeah, at Harvard in 1929. So it's been less than 100 years, Wayne, that we've known that hydrogen existed in the sun as the dominant gas. But uh, when she <laughs> when she came up with that, um, she, she got that from reading uh, Fraunhofer lines. And But when she came up with that conclusion, uh, it was rejected and uh, by most of the prominent astronomers of the time. And it took uh, several years before people came around and accepted her idea. Um, and uh, But later she went on to become the first female professor of the Faculty of Arts and Sciences at Harvard, uh, but she came to that discovery thanks to Josef Fraunhofer's spectrometer uh, creation. Huh. How about that? Well, that's very good. I didn't know that story. Yeah. You know, yeah. In the past, women in astronomy had some difficulties. They uh, did, so. yeah. It was not a, a easy profession to be a, a female uh, yeah. a, a part. Um, but uh, helium was also uh, a novel thing. People didn't know for a long time uh, helium was... Um, was uh, a novel gas. <laughs> Remember, Wayne, when we started Good Heavens a couple of, what was it, almost four years? Well, it was four years ago. We were going to yeah. call uh, Good Heavens, what were we going to call it? 
All but gas. <laughs> I still like it. I, I don't really like it. So I'm sorry. But... <laughs> well, we couldn't agree, so that's why we didn't do it. But, but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I could see. <laughs> it was kind of funny, but it's like I don't know if we want to have that. Uh... <laughs> um, but uh, it was uh, the the discovery of helium. It wasn't discovered until 1868 by two astronomers, Janssen of France and a Lockyer, a Norman Lockyer. And they discovered the gaseous nature in the chromosphere. They discovered this stuff we now called helium, named after Helios, which is uh, the god of the sun. And so uh, the spectrum of – so helium and hydrogen, Wayne – in our sun are relatively new discoveries, uh, considering all the, the sciences of the heavens. We've only no. known helium has been around f- since 1868 and then hydrogen in 1929. So uh, all that gas, is it's pretty novel for us to, to know uh, this stuff about uh, the sun. So, you know, we think we've got it all figured out. But really, Wayne, uh, now with all this quantum science... Uh, there's even more weird stuff going on uh, that uh, is hard to explain. Quantum tunneling and how do how do protons come together to form helium and the proton proton chain. The the solar science is absolutely fascinating. Uh, yeah. So we haven't figured out everything about the sun yet. No, and that's okay. I like we like mystery here on Good Heavens. Yeah. We like to reserve some things for for God and God alone to know. And I think as long as Jesus tarries and is coming. We will never know everything there is to know about the sun. But uh, what we do know about the sun, according to Romans 1, is sufficient that God has shown us evidence of his invisible attributes through what he has made. And so primarily, I would say, Wayne, and I think you would agree, that the main reason we have the sun is as a witness to us of God's invisible attributes. And for times and for seasons and for days and for years, but primarily, it is a stand-in, light-bearing messenger declaring the glory of God. We can study it and read it, and it's so perfect for our world. Um, there's too many coincidences for this sun to be of an accidental gaseous happenstance, wouldn't you say? Yes, I think so. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, I'm, I might be, I'm a little sunburned from this episode. <laughs> Got time to well, go. it's uh, warming warming us up. Well, as the weather gets colder, it is, uh, and it is getting a little colder here. I've started my fireplace in the barn this uh, this uh, season. Just a couple of weeks ago, I had a fire in there this morning and last night. And uh, uh, as as we move into December and January, hopefully, we're not going to have another snowmageddon. But if we do, I'm prepared with my uh, my stove. But yes, the sun is lower. Yeah. In the, the southern horizon, and in, as, as most of our listeners know, if you're in the north, northern hemisphere, it is getting darker at like five now. And uh, the closer we move to the, uh, the solstice, uh, it'll get darker and darker uh, because the sun rises lower and lower in the sky each day. Um, anyway, so it's been a fun we, – we haven't even touched the surface, have we, Wayne? <laughs> uh, no, we haven't. <laughs> we have not. And uh, so, uh, any concluding thoughts about the sun, Wayne? Uh, you know, well, uh, God, God made it, and uh, God made the earth. It's become a match set designed for us. That's right. And as Genesis says, and God saw that it was good. It was very good. And there was evening and morning, the fourth day, the day yep. of the birth of the sun and the moon, 
They are creations of the Lord. They are not lords themselves. They are light-bearing messengers that remind us of our creator and their creator. The heavens declare the glory, Wayne, and uh, thanks for being... These guys proclaim the work of his hands. That's right, and uh, we here on Good Heavens hope that you are always edified and encouraged by the things that we talk about. Drop us a line on our website, uh, say hello, and uh, let us know what you think, or maybe a topic, an astronomical topic you'd like us to cover in coming episodes. So, uh, Wayne, once more, it's been fun, as always, talking about the universe and all things astronomical and heavenly with you. And uh, I think our next episode is going to be about uh, ancient aliens. What do you say? That sounds like an interesting topic. It does. It does. Uh, It's so popular now. The government has come out with some, uh, some videos and some reports People are all abuzz about aliens. And you know it's it's you know you live in strange and fascinating times, Wayne, where people find that it's less plausible to believe in a literal atom, but more likely to believe in literal aliens. Isn't that weird? Yeah, so the uh it's a odd way of kind of um kind of interchanging the supernatural with the scientific Yeah. I think mixes people up. It does. It confuses people. It does. And, and even on television, if you notice some things like the sci-fi channel, a lot of the things that get put on the sci-fi channel is not science fiction. It's really more occultic or it's more spiritual in nature. And there's some of it's sci- science fiction, but the, the original concept of science fiction is not really what all of it is there's a way of there's a tendency to mix yeah the blending uh, the the occult right and and the science right and i think this has a tendency to confuse people right i i totally agree and and hopefully we'll get into that and touch on it more when we uh when we cover that in our, our coming episodes so wayne it's been a fantastic romp around the sun with you today thanks for joining me and uh we will see you again right here next time on Good heavens. Good heavens.